I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our first Scripture reading from the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, continuing our Advent series, The Precursors to Advent. By way of reminder, this is God's last covenant word before the Advent, the first Advent of Christ. So Malachi 3, beginning in verse 7 through 18. Then we'll turn for our New Testament reading, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 18. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, says this, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil and the vine in the fields that uh, shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping His charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then, those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who fear the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And then we'll turn to our second Scripture reading, Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It's going to be found on page 1018 of your pew Bibles. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The Word of God reads, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the the Lord appeared to them, and glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Here ends the reading of God's Word this morning. Blessed congregation, this gracious Emmanuel, God with us, was the great Creator of everything. The Bible tells us that all things were made by Him, and without Him, nothing was made. This Jesus, we are told, reigned in heaven as equal to the Father. All of the hosts of heaven worshipped at the feet of Jesus. Every angel did His bidding. So ought we not to be comforted this morning that the first worshipers of the incarnate Lord Jesus were lowly shepherds. Shepherds in the ancient world were not of particularly high social standing. They had to work long hours in the field, often even sleeping in the sheep pen with the animals. These men were often considered the dirtiest of society. They were the undesirables of society. They were removed from society outside of the city where no one really had to deal with them. And nobody would have thought that these were the men who were worthy to be the first people to worship the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Yet the angels appear in the sky, we read in Luke 2. And they reveal glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with those, among whom, with those whom God is pleased. And they reveal this glorious message of salvation not to Herod's dignitaries. This glorious message of salvation is not revealed to the Greek philosophers first, but to the lowly to the dirty, to the outcasts of Israel. See, this Christmas Eve, God calls you and I, wherever you might be, whoever you, might, whoever you are, to worship Christ the newborn King. You are called by God. Come to the manger. Come to the place where He lay. And bow the knee and worship Him. Look at what our passage says this morning. Verse 7, return to me. But maybe you feel like a lowly, dirty shepherd. This is how Israel felt in the book of Malachi. 
Look at verse 6. We looked at it last week. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Who is the one who is calling them to return? God who is the Lord. L-O-R-D. The unchanging covenant God. He calls them to return to Him. And they say, how can I return to you? How can we come with our hard hearts? We've noticed this throughout our Advent series. How many times had Israel fallen since they had returned from exile? How many sins does God reprimand them for? They say, how can we return with our hard-heartedness? with our baggage, with our family problems, with our sins. And maybe that's how you feel this Advent season as well. Father, how can we come to You? Even worse, maybe there are some who say God could never accept a sinner like me. If You knew what I had done, You would know that I can't come To God, God's Word to you this morning is return to Me. This is why Christ came. He came to save shepherds and wise men. He came for the hard-hearted Israelites. He came to save sinners like you and like Me. Our theme this morning is that God bids all men return to Him. No matter their station. No matter their status. No matter their gift. Did you get that? It's not in your bulletin this morning. God bids all men return to Him no matter their station, status, or gifts. He bids all men come. And our points are simply this. Come with gifts, come with worship, and come with faith. Notice first from Malachi chapter 3 that the the Lord begins to address specifically their bringing of gifts, their tithes and offerings. T.V. Moore, uh, an excellent Old Testament scholar, says this, it is a principle in God's government that the sins of the fathers should be visited upon the children. Close quote. What he means here is that children often follow in the sins of mom and dad. And we see this with the Jews of the Old Testament. Before they went into captivity, they were withholding their gifts from God, withholding their worship from God, withholding faith from God, and so he sent them into captivity. But then upon coming back from captivity they're still going into the same sins. Rather than repenting and forsaking their parents' wickedness, they continue in following it. And what is the sin that the prophet is addressing? Look at verse 9. They are robbing God. Well, what does it mean to rob God? Malachi tells us in verse 9 in the ESV that they weren't bringing the full tithe. They weren't bringing the full tithe. Now, tithe is an Old Testament word which simply means 
A tenth. It's from that famous story of Abraham and Melchizedek in Genesis 14 that after Abraham uh, meets Melchizedek on the road, he gives him a tenth of all of his treasure, a tenth of all of his possessions as a tithe to Melchizedek. And we see that in the Old Testament, this idea of a tithe is continued for the people of God. The law of Moses tells us that the people were to tithe 10% of their agricultural produce. See that Leviticus 27 and Deuteronomy 14. Now the tithe is not required of Israel because God is hungry and needs food. The tithe is required, it's done really to support three things in Israel. It was done to support three different things. It supported the full-time ministry. The first thing it did was it supported the full-time ministry of the priests and the Levites. This was how God paid the wages of His people ministering in the temple. That's the first thing a tithe did. But the second thing a tithe did was that it supported the poor and the orphans and the widows. From this tithe, the needy in Israel were taken care of. That's what we see in Deuteronomy 14. And then third, it supported the temple. It was for the upkeep of the uh, incredible temple that God had built through His servant Solomon. And it supported the regular worshiping of God's people. It supported the meeting together of God's people for worship. And what we're seeing in Malachi is the same sins of their mom and dads. They're holding back part of their tithe. They're withholding their gifts from God. And God is remarkably clear how He feels about this. He says, you've robbed me. You've robbed me. Only one other time in the Old Testament is the word robbed used. And it's in Proverbs 22, verse 23, and it means plunder. Stolen. You have forcibly taken something from me that belongs to me. And you know what happens when we withhold our gifts from God? When we steal from Him? Whether it's with our tithes, our time, our priorities, it always ends up hurting us. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. Does God need the tithe? No, He owns all of the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all of the crops of this world. Does He need offerings? No. He does not need money, gold, or animals. This is why we have to look at the story of the shepherds. They don't bring anything, but they bring their best. They bring their best. And in Malachi's day, they were neglecting their own spiritual life by withholding their best. Verse 9 says they're cursed with a curse. And they're harming their neighbors. You are robbing me the whole nation of you. See, one thing we have to understand when we talk about the principle of a tithe from the Old Testament is that the Bible really doesn't give us a number about what needs to be given to God. Even the principle of a tithe 
10% is much more of a baseline than it is an invoice or a minimum. Even the offerings of the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus were seen as a minimum. It's what the people of God should bring, but not the maximum of what they could bring. In the ancient world, there was no international revenue service that could examine each family and determine what they should or should not give. Instead, the principle of tithing, the principle of offering, is that you give and you bring your best. And in Leviticus, what they were, the offerings that were required, we see all these offerings that were required, but you remember that there was always this present offering, which was called a free will offering, that was a call of the people to go above and beyond. And this principle is what we see in the Nativity the angels, the magi, the shepherd. They all have different levels of what they can offer the incarnate Lord Jesus. They all have different gifts they can bring to God. The angels can bring to Him that angelic worship. The magi can bring the famous gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what can the shepherds bring? What can the outcast bring? What can the poor bring? bring? What can the dirty bring? Well, we read in our Scripture passage, they couldn't bring any gift. But they brought their best. They brought themselves. They fell on their knees in front of the manger scene and worshipped the Lord Jesus. Three different levels of what someone can bring And yet all three are accepted. All three worship the Lord Jesus. All three depart. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Not only accepted, but don't you see that the shepherds were blessed? They were blessed to worship the incarnate Lord Jesus. I don't think it's too far to say that these shepherds are given glorious, full, and free salvation. And so it was with Israel. God says, if you do not withhold from Me your gifts, I will not withhold from you any blessing. Put Me to the test. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you until this and no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And the vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. They bring their best gift, the full tithe, And God promises to bless in abundance. We know this all too well in the New Testament as well. When we give ourselves to God, when we withhold nothing from Him, are we not always the ones who are blessed? It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
See, this is that first element of returning to God is that He requires not just part of you, not just the scraps of what you can bring. If you're going to come to God, He wants all of you. He doesn't just want half. A few hours on Sunday. But the whole of your life. Your Savior and your Lord is born in the city of David. See, we need to come with our gifts. But we need to also come with worship. See, when we return to God, we must come to Him with worship. Why? Because He is all-glorious God. What do the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. This God has come to earth for sinners like you and like me. This is the God who has come to restore us to the joy of salvation. And if we're going to come to this God, we must come with worship. The whole Bible tells us that if you're going to come before Yahweh, come with praises. 1 Chronicles 16, Worship the Lord all the earth. Proclaim His salvation from day to day. Psalm 100, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. But rather than lips filled with praise, Israel's lips are filled with grumbling. God says in verse 13, You have brought harsh words against me. This would be the equivalent of what we might say in our modern language of that person is using strong language. And here the Hebrew indicates that they're not saying these words to God, but they're actually saying them to one another. They're getting together. They're gossiping. They're using strong language saying things that aren't true about Yahweh, His prophet. And really, what this is reminiscent of is Israel in the wilderness. Remember, as God is leading them to the promised land, they're filled with grumbling about God. We should have stayed in Egypt. Oh, how we longed for the days when the meat pots were full, even though they were in bondage and in slavery. They're grumbling. God, the omniscient, knows exactly what's going on in those conversations. See, in their grumbling, they're bringing an accusation. In verse 14, they say, it is vain to serve God. Now, vanity is a Hebrew word, an Old Testament Hebrew word, which means empty. It means useless. This is how they viewed serving God. And this doesn't just mean a worship service, but they felt that the whole of their lives, it was empty and worthless to serve God. No much more than just what they did on Sunday. But the whole of life is to be given gladly and willingly to God. But as they looked at it, they said it's useless, they said. Because the arrogant are blessed. And evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. 
Doesn't this, re- doesn't this reveal the status of their hearts? They had a dismal view of worshiping God. And when they worshiped God, they thought it brought them no gain. Now notice with me that in verse 14, the prophet doesn't even answer the question. What is the profit of keeping this charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? They're asking, what is the point of worship? But Malachi doesn't even respond. But the Bible does. See, what is the point of worshiping God? The Bible tells us that when we worship God, He is glorified through our worship. Psalm 22 says, you are holy, listen to this, enthroned on the praises of Israel. He is lifted up and exalted by us in worship. In worship, we give honor and glory to the One who is truly due honor and glory. Worship is not vain because it gives God what He deserves. The Bible says, listen to this, uh, secondly, about worship, worship is not in vain because worship is soul-thrilling. Psalmist David says, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Beholding, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Your steadfast love is better than life. The highest privilege that we can have in this life is being in the presence of someone important. Being in the presence of a dignitary. And here, we are called into the presence of God. The very God Himself. But significantly, worship is Christ-centered. I can't help but think in this passage of Asaph in Psalm 73, who himself said, life is vain. It is vain to serve God while evildoers prosper until he goes into the sanctuary. And he tells us in Psalm 73 that when he looked upon the altar of sacrifice and he was reminded that his sins deserved punishment, but that he is spared punishment because a perfect sacrifice would lay himself down upon God's altar for him. He's comforted by Christ. He's comforted by the Messiah to come. Comforted in the Emmanuel, the God will be with him. He says, only then it is good for me to be near unto God. See, what is given to us in Advent is not simply the duty of worship, but also the privilege of worship. I love the story of the shepherds. If you go back to Luke chapter 2, it says that when the angels proclaimed this Gospel news to the shepherds, it says they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And then if you look at chapter 2, verse 20, it says then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. That when they came to worship God in His God glorifying, in His soul-thrilling 
Christ-centered worship was actually the greatest gift they could ever receive. It was the privilege of worship. And they were filled and brought it to Jesus. And then brought it to the world. Come to God with worship. Now the most important element in returning to God, the Lord leaves to the last. We must come to God with faith. We see that Israel, in Israel at this time, there was two groups of people. There were those who gossiped with one another about against God, I should say. They gossiped against God to one another. But then notice a second group of people revealed at the end of chapter 3. They spoke to, uh, to one another. Verse 16, they feared the Lord and spoke with one another. And then verse 17, they honored His name. The terms feared the Lord and honored His name are actually reflective of two different things. See, to fear the Lord is likely a term we're all familiar with. When we say that somebody, that person really is a God-fearer, what we're saying is that they have a reverence for God. It's clear that they put their trust in Him. But when somebody honors His name, this is actually a peculiar phrase in the Hebrew which reflects not something we can see with our eyes, but it's actually the inner attitude of one's heart. And let's be clear. This doesn't mean that they never questioned what God was up to. Just like the psalmist, we can assume these people questioned God. These God-fearers probably looked at the decimated city and felt discouraged. They may have went to the temple and saw no one there, and their hearts may have been broken. But the difference between God-fearers and the people who grumbled earlier in this chapter is notice that God-fearers direct their complaint to God, not to one another. Beloved, remember that those who fear God will have trials. They will have questions. They will have heartbreaks. But the God-fearer clings to His power and His love. He is the all-powerful God who controls every aspect of this universe. He cares for His people. We don't always understand how that works, but we can trust Him. That's what faith is. It's a wholehearted trust. And this Truth is so precious. Verse 16, the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, folks, we are not to withhold our gifts from God. We are not to withhold our worship from God. But the people who are precious in the sight of the Lord are those who come in simple faith and who trust Him. Why have the shepherds been honored for 2,000 years? 
because they are the example that it is not what you bring, but it is that you hold nothing back and that you come in faith. And it is said that God has this book of remembrance. In the ancient world, kings would keep precise records of their favorite people. We actually can even see this in the book of Esther. The king has a book of favorites he writes down so that he doesn't remember to take care of them when the time comes. So that he doesn't forget to bless the people who have blessed him. And so it says that the Lord has His treasured possession. He has His book of remembrance that those who come to Him in faith, He will remember and He will reward. We must come in faith to God. Faith in His power. Faith in His goodness. Faith in God's Son. The Lord Jesus. Notice how Malachi concludes here. I will spare them, those who come by faith, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. God promises that because Israel is his son by faith, he will spare them of any harm that might befall them. And he is able to do this because of Advent. In Advent, God did not spare his only natural son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that he could spare his adopted children, you and I. And God promises to us that he will never let us go. We are his treasured possession, written in his book of remembrance. That because Christ came into this world, born of the virgin, to lay His life down for you and I, God promises that He will spare you. That He will receive your gift, your worship, your faith. Not because of who you are, but because He did not spare Jesus on the cross. See, are you a shepherd this morning? You look at your meager gift. Why would God accept this? You say, I'm an outcast of society. If God knew my sin, would He really want me to return to Him? The answer in Christ is yes. Return to Me, God says. I sent My Son so that shepherds so that you, so that Israel could come and worship me. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning that we are able to come with gifts. We are able to come with worship. We are able to come with faith because of Christ. Father, we know that we are not able to bring what you deserve. That You are deserving of all of the praises of heaven. You are deserving of all of the gifts of the earth. You are deserving of the strong and the mighty in faith. But yet, Lord, we are weak and sinful. Yet, Father, we come to You trusting not in ourselves, trusting wholly in the work of Christ. 
And we pray, Lord, that we would come, that we would return. In Jesus, this Advent season, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.